the five biggest questions heading into Georgia's U.S. Senate runoffs. Welcome to a special pre-election runoff edition of the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome. Where have you been? But be sure to follow us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss another episode. And it's never too late to join because the end of the runoffs does not mean the end of the Politically Georgia podcast. We have so, so much to talk about after these blessed runoffs finally end, uh, including what's next for Governor Brian Kemp, Georgia potentially becoming an early voting state in the 2024 White House run, the legislative session, the emergence of new power structures in the state capitol, what becomes of Stacey Abrams, so much, so much to talk about. But today's episode, we're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to talk about the key questions that we have, at least, that will help shape and define the outcome of Tuesday's runoff. And Patricia, I know we have been running around everywhere. We're in the final throws um, I'm, I took a break from the campaign trail to help with the writing stuff on Sunday, but our colleagues, Tia Mitchell and Shannon McCaffrey were out there on the trail. We were out on the trail on Saturday all day and we'll be out there on Monday and Tuesday as well. So it's very busy. Monday and Tuesday. Absolutely. So yeah, we're getting down to just the nitty gritty of this situation. Um, there's so much to unpack in terms of who has already voted. Has everybody voted who wanted to vote? What does Tuesday look like? Um, and really, what are the strategies for these campaigns going forward? So there's just there is so much information that's all just sort of funneling straight in to Tuesday. And we're going to unpack all that right now. We're going to dive right into it. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Okay, Patricia, this has been the biggest question I've had maybe the entire general election phase, certainly the runoff phase of this midterm election, but is will split ticket voters come back out for Senator Warnock in the runoff? Look, we've talked about this ad nauseum about how Herschel Walker gained 200,000 fewer votes than Governor Brian Kemp in the November midterm election. These were voters that were moderates, independents, Republicans even, who voted for the governor but couldn't stomach voting for Herschel Walker. And now we've seen a sustained strategy by Senator Warnock's campaign to keep those voters in his fold. This is not just about base turnout for him. This is also about persuading those voters to come back to his camp 
because they played the crucial role in the November midterm and are expected to play a huge role in this Tuesday runoff. Herschel Walker isn't sitting still either. He hasn't changed his message whatsoever to try to appeal to those voters. But at the same time, he now has a very important surrogate at his side, and that is Governor Brian Kemp, the one who the Republican who a lot of these split ticket voters voted for in the first place. Yes, something that I've noticed from Raphael Warnock that you don't really see typically in the closing days of a really, really close campaign like this is the unbelievably high number of positive messages coming from Warnock. A lot of not just bio spots, but spots quoting scripture, spots saying, let's bring each other together. I just got a mailer from the Democratic Party uh, just extolling the virtues of Senator Warnock, just a very, and I live in kind of a swingy area, a lot of messages highlighting what is unifying about uh, Raphael Warnock, even the fact that he was back in the pulpit on Sunday, right before Election Day, all putting forward these very positive messages. Even on his Twitter feed, he starts the day with a motivational message, something positive, something totally apolitical, just any way to attract those voters and remind them not just he was like, Ugh, he was, oh, OK, this is a good alternative, a good enough alternative if I'm a Republican, but a reason to really support him as a leader. And I think that that's something that's important to pay attention to. Typically, you just see in the final days, both candidates just hammering each other with negative messages. And there's plenty of those. But this is something that is part of that strategy for Warnock is to really put forward a positive alternative for those independent voters. Instead of just staying home, here is a reason to activate yourself and go out and do this. And it's really hard to poll these voters. It's really hard to poll any any sort of runoff electorate. That's why we've only seen a handful of polls come out so far. But what, look, what we do know is we have anecdotal evidence. Uh, we did a call out in the jolt for split ticket voters and and of the more than two dozen or so we heard from, pretty much all of them said they were gonna stay on the Democrats camp. Um, we also, I was part of a, uh, of a podcast from The Bulwark. There was a focus group of um, Herschel Walker supporters in the November midterm who are, were asked if they're still going to back Herschel Walker and some of those, and they were somewhat swingy voters as well. They were not split ticket voters, but they were swingy voters. And some of them, you know, expressed skepticism about whether they were going to back Herschel Walker in round two. So that, that shows you that even some, you know, diehard Republican supporters are kind of holding their nose or are worried about his chances. We'll see, but certainly we can say, and we said this throughout the entire runoff, this is not a block of voters that the Warnock campaign was ignoring. And in fact, as we like to say, that Dave Matthews Band concert, which, as you as you said, Patricia, deprived Dunwoody of every babysitter in the area because there's so many middle-aged white people who showed up. Uh, that was clearly aimed at that split ticket sect. And it's not just the only thing he's tried to do. Um, to try to keep those split ticket voters in his camp. Yeah, the Washington Post did a big story on this. And one quote I thought just really stood out was from a Republican voter who did vote for Herschel Walker the last time around. But then once he heard the quote from Herschel Walker about vampires versus werewolves, he was like, oh, boy, I'm, I'm out of here. Um, and you have to also look at the campaign that Walker has run over the last weeks since the general election, those five days where he was dark, even over the weekend, he had on Saturday no... Uh, uh, announced public appearances, although he did show up down at the tailgate at the SEC championship, but had a number of gaffes on the trail. Uh, the vampires were versus werewolves talking about gas guzzlers and uh, reasons not to support the EV economy, which is actually the state's sort of 
futuristic yeah. entire economic strategy. His campaign has had a number of stumbles in the last several weeks, whereas the Warnock campaign has been everywhere all the time. And with a ton of that, with those messages to try and get those Republicans back out, that's really hard to ask a Republican to get out and go vote in a in a runoff just for a Democratic senator. That's a big reason why we haven't seen Joe Biden here in the state, although he was um, a fundraising. Um, but it's a big piece of why a lot of his surrogates really have nothing to do with the National Democratic Party, but almost entirely something about either um, the group of voters that he's approaching, um, Asian American voters is a good example, or just John Ossoff and a lot of local leaders to speak out for him and on his behalf. And that leads to our second question. Will Herschel Walker supporters show up on Election Day? Look, we know right now Democrats have likely built a pretty enormous lead on early voting. We're not sure exactly what the numbers are. It's impossible to accurately predict this. But the data are the data. And that what, what it shows is this. Black voters are voting at a disproportionately high number of the electorate, about uh, almost a third of the electorate right now. And secondly a large number, a much larger number of voters are coming from Democratic strongholds than Republican strongholds. And look, we, there's, there's data analysts out there who use far more sophisticated information that tends to indicate that Senator Warnock has a 52, 51, 53, he's somewhere around that with the early vote. We'll see. We'll see how that all plays out. But look, even Republicans concede that, that Senator Warnock has built up a solid lead right now. Is it insurmountable? Right. That's the big question, because Republicans tend to win on Election Day. Herschel Walker beat Senator Warnock on Election Day by double digits. He'll need that and more to win on Tuesday. According to the smart Republican strategists I talked to, they're expecting a significant turnout. But it depends on, you know, is it going to be one point three million? Is it going to be one point five million? We'll see. And if it's that high, is it the right sort of electorate the Republicans need or is it the electorate the Democrats need? But the biggest part of this question, though, is will the the most loyal Republican supporters of, of Herschel Walker, will they come back out on Tuesday when it's supposed to be a kind of jury day? We're not sure weather forecasts can change, but looks like it could be a little iffy of a, of a weather day. And also, they don't have a motivating factor, the, the same motivating factors they had in the November midterm. Senate control is not on the line. Back then, you know, every Senate race, there is the tagline that this could, you know, determine the outcome of the U.S. Senate contest. Well, we know this one won't because Democrats already have, have already clinched a majority of the Senate. They have 50 votes with Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote that gives them a majority. And you also don't have Governor Kemp, Chris Carr. John King, Burt Jones. You don't, you don't have local legislative races. You don't have other reasons to go vote. So the people who are casting their ballots in the runoff, they're only casting their ballots for Herschel Walker or Senator Warnock. So if you're a Republican voter who hasn't voted yet, you've got to be motivated to go vote for Herschel Walker on Tuesday. And this is the same group of Republicans who did not come back out to the polls in the numbers that they needed to during the last Senate runoffs. And that's what gives Republicans heartburn, is that they had this exact same to-do list about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago. And that same group of Republicans, the most loyal ones, really did not come out in huge numbers. And that's why Kelly Loeffler lost. That's why David Perdue lost. And so they need to go back into uh, their uh, the machine that they built and figure out what do we need to do differently. Now, we do know that Republicans have more assets on the ground. Um, they have a kind of a 
more heightened focus on getting those voters back out to the polls. But to your point, without Senate control on the line, that was a huge motivating factor for those Herschel Walker voters. When people said, I'm a strong Herschel Walker voter, a lot of that was because of the chance to stop the Biden administration. Joe Biden's still not super popular down here in Georgia, 40% or less approval rating. So the chance to put the brakes on the Biden administration was a big prize for Republican voters. So when you hear the surrogates now come back to Georgia for Herschel Walker, somebody like Tim Scott said on the stump recently, listen, if we had won just one of those Senate runoffs last year, that would have saved taxpayers $4 trillion. Just think about that. And then uh, Lindsey Graham's line has been to say, you know, it's not just about Washington tomorrow. It's about America in the long term. We have to have another Republican up there in the U.S. Senate. And that's what Herschel Walker represents. So they're trying to kind of continue to make it feel like it's super important. And of course it is, but it's just not the same level of intensity. We just don't feel it out there from Republican voters. Now, listen, I still get a lot of emails from voters around Georgia who say uh, it's not that they don't care about Herschel Walker's shortcomings as a candidate. They just care more about putting more Republicans in Washington. And so they said it's uh, and they're still going to go out and vote for him. And anything that they hear about Walker has not changed their mind. And it's not that they had a big, high opinion of Herschel Walker in the first place. They just feel very, very strongly about Joe Biden and putting more Republicans up in Washington to at least start to tap the brakes on him. So that's their best argument. But, you know, we can feel that it doesn't have the same level intensity as it did just six weeks ago. And he guarantees them a reliable Republican vote, as you said, because there's been no indication that he'll be some sort of maverick out there. Um, That leads us to our third question, which is how will Herschel Walker fare in the areas of Georgia where he lagged behind Governor Kemp? And we have this amazing map that we've put on a lot of our stories that our AJC colleague Isaac Sabatai created that shows you where those 200,000 votes, uh, that 200,000 lag really took place. And that was in the close-in suburbs uh, north of Metro Atlanta. So we're talking Cobb and Fulton and Gwinnett, DeKalb, some of the homes of, you know, these are Democratic counties, but some of the some of the places where mainstream Republicanism is alive and well. But surprisingly, also, some of the areas of the biggest lag were North Georgia, extreme North Georgia, areas around the state line. Frankly, areas where Herschel Walker is going to on Monday. Those are the areas where his campaign lagged most behind Governor Kemp, four, five, six points in some of these mountainous counties, in a shock, I think, even to Herschel Walker's campaign. And look, Patricia, if he can't close that invisible gap right now, if he can't drive up turnout in deep red areas in North Georgia, as well as keep the the mainstream Republicans engaged in Metro Atlanta, he's in trouble. He's in trouble on Tuesday night. Yes, yes. And this will be a really important learning for Republicans, no matter what happens with Herschel Walker. How are they doing in those counties that used to be not just reliably Republican, but so reliably Republican that they could offset those big losses that they always knew they were going to have in the big Democratic counties like Fulton and DeKalb? I think it's really important to note that the population up there is not static. There has been a lot of development 
even in the last two years, areas around Dawsonville, areas up in North Georgia, all you have to do is drive around to just see massive levels of development, both industrial and then also residential people moving into those areas. A lot of them are uh, (laughs) sort of um, people fleeing Atlanta, a lot of relocations from Atlanta during COVID. And so it'll be so fascinating to see, are the voting patterns different after that kind of population change on the margins? Uh, They could still be Republicans, but not the kind of Republicans that Republicans have been able to rely on uh, to really deliver these statewide wins. But when we talk about statewide wins, I mean, they're just coming off of a massive set of statewide wins just a few weeks ago. And so this Herschel Walker campaign is really a test for kind of the outer bounds of power for Republicans. Can they get somebody across the line who has a number of challenges within his own candidacy? It's, um, you know, it's a real test of the of the Republican machine right now. We'll soon find out. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk about a few more things we're closely watching heading into Tuesday's runoffs. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your host, Greg Bluestein, with the other host, Patricia Murphy. Not only are we two hosts for this podcast, but we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. Right now, for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. This includes full access to AJC.com, the AJC e-paper, daily newsletters, including the Jolt, for less than a buck. Sign up today at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts for six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, uh, another thing we're closely watching, number four, is which of these final competing strategies will work. So look, Herschel Walker, we've talked about this before. Um, He has had a very limited campaign schedule. One, maybe two events a day, most of the runoff. And then he, of course, went silent for five days around Thanksgiving at the same time when Senator Warnock was hosting a lot of events, more than a dozen events. So Herschel Walker has had a very restrained campaign schedule. But not just that. He has not talked to the AJC. He's not talked to most uh, mainstream or nonpartisan media outlets. He's kept his conversations with the media mostly to GOP-friendly outlets like Fox News and the like. He's not even answering 
easy questions on where he stands on significant issues, not just from us, but from other outlets as well. And meanwhile, you know, the contrast couldn't be clearer with Senator Warnock, who is holding multiple events a day, taking questions from reporters. His campaign staff has been open and transparent about where he stands on certain issues that we ask about. It's just very different strategies right now. And of course, their scheduling is very different as well, where we have Herschel Walker, as we mentioned earlier, making that beeline to areas where he really wants to drive out Republican support. Senator Warnock, he's kind of been everywhere. He's gone everywhere from Wrightsville, which was Herschel Walker's hometown. He's in Athens on Sunday, a very blue area, but also there to remind folks that, hey, he's not the only one who can root for the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, so you're, you're just kind of seeing very disparate strategies play out. Yeah, it really feels like if I had to use a football analogy, it just feels like it's offense versus defense. It really feels like Raphael Warnock, even though he is the incumbent, is playing a very offensive game right now. He is going everywhere. The The fact that he went to Wrightsville, which is such a small town, the fact that he went there during the runoff was really just sort of a flex to say, hey, look, I can get a big crowd and I can get plenty of people in Herschel Walker's own hometown who don't think that he's ready or capable of being in the U.S. Senate. And then from Herschel Walker, it just really feels like they're trying not to make any more mistakes. And so I'll talk to a number of strategists while he was really on the heels of that five days of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> and of just Purgatory, being totally absent. MIA. Five days of vacation, five days of um, laying low. Uh, talk to uh, a number of strategists to say, how bad is this? And they're like, listen, it's probably the best thing he can do. The fewer events he has the fewer moments that his campaign staff has to mop up later when he's talking about werewolves and vampires and Archie Bunker and Scooby-Doo. I mean, these are all literally things that we hear um, on the trail from him. Now, listen, the crowd loves it when it happens, but that's a very tiny 200-person Herschel Walker megafan focus group. That is not the Georgia electorate. So any any positive response to that is not necessarily indicative of, um, of of the broader electorate. That's a really good point because we, we've heard these anecdotes and this stuff a, a lot over and over again. And then, you know, taken as part of the speech, sometimes it goes over, you know, like, okay, there he is with the cow story again. Okay. And the crowd loves it. But when you isolate that into a 20 second soundbite, the cow story or the raccoon story or, you know, whatever, werewolves and vampires stuck out even in the crowd, right? That was an anomaly. But even some of this, these standards of his campaign stump speech, when isolated are just sort of draw dropping. And I've talked to his campaign's advisors and staffers, and many of them are like, yeah, we can't get him <laughs> to veer off of this, this same stump speech over and over again. And what's remarkable about this to me, Patricia, is that he's had lots of opportunities to change the stump speech. I mean, look, now we're in a different race. We're in the runoff. Senate control's not online. So I'm sure his advisors wanted him to talk about why winning that 50th seat is still very important for Republicans. I'm sure they want him to talk more about Governor Kemp. I'm sure they want him to talk more about split ticket voters. I'm sure they want him to make some of the arguments that Kemp and others have had to make for him about the Inflation Reduction Act or what, whatever it might be. But he's not doing that. He's given the same speech over and over again that baffles a lot of Republicans because he can't change his message. I guess he's locked in. And at the same time, they are appealing 
I mean, almost single-mindedly to this MAGA base. And they're leaving it up to Kemp and others to go after these split-ticket voters and try to steer the conversation to inflation and to the economy. And instead, his speech is all about pronouns and transgender policies and stuff, you know, that's not front and center in Washington right now. The debt limit is, right? The immigration overhaul might be. Things like that that senators are about to start to debate. And meanwhile, he's talking about gendered pronouns that's appealing to a singularly far-right crowd. Yes, and but we know that he needs to get more than just the singularly far-right voters out to the polls uh, in order to win this race because the race that he ran last time didn't get the job done. If there was no runoff in the state, he uh, it would be over right now. It just happens to be that runoff rule that's kept him alive right now. So he's not made any attempt to move to the middle. Now, in fairness, just four weeks of a runoff makes it really hard to recalibrate your message. But if you wanted to look at how to win a race, Governor Brian Kemp just gave a masterclass on how to win over both the Trump voters and those middle of the road and even some Democratic voters by having a really strong economic message because inflation is still a huge, huge factor in all Georgians' lives right now. We just don't hear that right now from the Herschel Walker campaign. So this concept of offense versus defense, uh, I talked to a lot of people who thought, you know, maybe it's best if Herschel Walker isn't out there on the stump and isn't out there driving the message. It's Brian Kemp who's in the TV ads. It's Brian Kemp on the mailers. It's Brian Kemp out there making the case on inflation. He is the best messenger at this point. And, you know, it speaks to one of another mailer that I got from the Democrats. It was just a picture of Herschel Walker. And it said, how embarrassed would you be if Herschel Walker was your senator? I mean, that's the Democrats closing closing message. And the Republicans closing message is Governor Brian Kemp saying, hey, listen, I need a partner in Washington, make it Herschel Walker. And the problem with that, of course, is that Democrats have more than twice as much financial resources. They outraised yeah. Republicans by a huge margin. So if you're relying on that paid media, and not the earned media is what we call what we do. <laughs> we are giving people earned media. You have media earned right your media today. You've earned your media from us for <laughs> sure. For <laughs> but if you're uh, if you're relying on paid media and you're a Republican, look, you're going to get you're getting um, you know drowned by Democratic spending right now. Senator Warnock raised fifty two million dollars in a three week span, more than twice as much as Herschel Walker did. And then you then you add in outside allies and other groups doing things. So it's not everything, right? There's also groups who are doing yeoman's work, knocking on millions of doors and finding new ways to contact voters from both parties. But, you know, relying on that Kemp closing message without actually being on the campaign trail yourself. And Kemp has done an event with him, but just that one event. And, you know, Saturday was a great example. Saturday, Herschel Walker, as you mentioned, had this sort of off the books campaign. We knew about it, but it was off the books for most media, a campaign rally or a campaign appearance, I should say, outside Mercedes Benz, where he was just shaking hands with fans, not saying anything, not not giving a speech where uh, that was all where Senator Warnock had multiple events. He was all over the state. He was in Augusta. He was in Atlanta. He had a huge rally uh, with union organizers and then a rally at night with Asian American celebrities and, and members of Congress and, of course, members of the state legislature, all you know, getting him lots of earned media attention as well. Whereas the only thing folks could put in their, in their, in their reports about Herschel Walker is that, hey, he wouldn't speak to the media, but he, he shook a few hands outside the stadium. So there is that sort of divide, too, going on. Yeah. And one final piece about the Warnock campaign, they're doing a ton of outreach to 
Asian communities, Latino communities, obviously the black community. He's been down to Morehouse multiple times and out to other college campuses multiple times. It feels like they are checking the box with every single constituency. And we did see Republicans doing that ahead of the general election. I haven't seen that as much from the Herschel Walker campaign right now. We know that even in the runoff election, the Warnock campaign is advertising in English, Spanish, Vietnamese, and Korean, and just going after every single vote, including these large growing constituencies that feel like they're going to pay dividends for the Democrats later on. That was an area where the RNC and the Kemp campaign and Greater Georgia were doing a ton of legwork ahead of the general election. I have not seen evidence of that going into the runoff. And I'd throw in college students to that mix um On Sunday, Senator Warnock went out to UGA to speak with college Democrats. That was not even close to his first visit, this runoff campaign period with with college students. He's been, as you mentioned, Morehouse, he's been everywhere. He's been to Fort Valley State. He's been to smaller campuses, larger campuses as well. And Herschel Walker, when he does a rally, it's just a straight up rally in a parking lot or in a venue somewhere in an exurb or suburb or a small town. So they have very different strategies in these closing hours. Our last question, and it's the one that probably keeps both of us up at night a little bit, is will there be a decisive outcome on Tuesday, or are we in for a drawn-out legal battle? We've been through this before. We had a drawn-out legal battle, in a sense, in 2018, certainly in 2020, efforts to overturn the election results. I'll tell you, election supervisors, election officials, they pray for one thing. They pray for a solid victory for someone. They're looking for a five-point victory, six-point victory, seven-point victory, something that is out of challenge range, just because, you know, it's it, it leads to all sorts of headaches and, and concerns when ballots get questioned, when the legal challenges go back and forth. There's literally armies of lawyers at the ready to do this work if it needs to be done and... Uh, If we have a four or five point victory from one side or the other, the 11,000 or so votes here and there that are under question because of ballot signatures or whatever aren't as big of a deal. But of course, if it's a very close margin like we saw in 2020 in the the presidential race or in 2018 in the gubernatorial race, everything gets scrutinized. Yes. So even if there are, you know, those 11,000 votes that you mentioned are under question, those would be fully adjudicated, but that could take time, take place over a period of days, weeks, months to get everything in order, as long as the margin isn't determined by that small of a number you know, the election goes on, the election is certified, there's really no question about it. So um, I did notice that the Republicans were extremely litigious ahead of Saturday voting, you know, putting forward one, two, three legal challenges to that, which surprised me, eventually, um, because it came down to the Georgia GOP, and the RNC making a legal challenge against Saturday voting after it had already been upheld by state courts twice, it does feel like the Republicans were setting the stage a little bit and calling those illegal early votes. So I don't know that they were uh, setting the stage for a future legal challenge. I don't know. I don't have any reporting on that. But it was sort of an unusually aggressive legal challenge to something that to most people in the state felt like it had been the question been asked and answered and asked and answered. And then they asked it again. And then it was answered again. That's Um, such a good point because the Georgia Supreme Court ruled unanimously 
that Saturday voting should go forward. And, th- and this is not some liberal bastion, the Georgia Supreme Court. Four of its me- nine members were appointed by Governor Deal. Four others were appointed by Governor Kemp. And then the ninth was elected on his own uh, in, in a ballot. So this, these are not a bunch of, you know, like Roy Barnes appointees from 20 years ago or Zell Miller appointees even, right? These are very conservative judges who rule that way. And many Republicans, I think, including Governor Kemp, because he said it on, uh, in a CNN interview, were very, uh, I don't know if flabbergasted is the right word, but were confused by the fact the state Republican Party and national Republicans challenged Saturday voting, because what did it do? It ended up looking like it backfired by energizing Democratic voters. Yeah, and I think also, so a couple of things to watch on Election Day. What do the lines look like on Election Day? Obviously, we saw these huge long lines in early voting, and a lot of that was because the number of early voting days was condensed from 17 to 5 in terms of mandatory statewide voting, and that was by SB202. That was because it was shortened from a nine-week runoff to a four-week runoff, just allowed for literally less time to cast those ballots early. So it just funneled all of those early voters into a shorter time frame and had much longer lines. Are we going to see long lines again on Tuesday? Cobb County also has had a couple of snafus with their early voting and absentee voting. So I think there, you know, there's there's material out there to come back for legal challenges later on, certainly to come back for a legislative fix in the General Assembly next year. I think we can all expect some kind of proposal from the Democrats to deal with those long lines that we saw in early voting last week. And um, we've even heard some people saying maybe it's time just to get rid of the runoff altogether. The lines last week seemed like something that uh, were unexpected to the Secretary of State's office and something that uh, lawmakers are going to want to come back and deal with in the future, even if it's not the subject of litigation coming out of the election. And we're going to have so much more about the aftermath of Tuesday's runoff after it happens. We'll talk about what it means, what's next in the Georgia legislature, potential threats to or challenges or changes to Georgia's electoral system. And it won't, we already know it's not going to just be about polling stations lines. The date of the primary could also get upended because of uh, uh, the new early voting calendar that President Joe Biden just put out a few days ago. That's all the time we have for today's show. We'll have a special episode after the election to break down the results of what they mean for you. Coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. 5297 producer Shaney B and an army of newly promoted interns are waiting for you. Standing by for your calls now. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. 
Atlanta's thriving art scene, and the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.